Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, this is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. I'm still Sam. There still you. an alcoholic. There you are, Sam. Yeah, I figured I'd be here, didn't you? Me too. What's well, a pickle? Always a pickle. I, I can't go back to being a cucumber. Yeah, that unpickling process <laughs> that's not been quite developed yet. I think we unpickle. We tend to rot, but yeah. we don't unpickle. We have a guest. We do have a guest. Hi, guest. Who are you? Hello, I am Kevin. Kevin. F. <laughs> thanks for joining us, Kevin. Yes, thanks for having me. Kevin, what, what, we usually start with... Uh, actually, I know your story, and I know you've been in and out quite a few times. What, what I wonder is, what is the thing that is different the last time? For you, what could you identify that you did different or felt different or something inside that was different that this time uh, back into AA, quitting drinking, that it worked? Um, I, I mean, I think it's the first step, really. Uh, I, what brought me out was just the constant questioning of if I'm actually an alcoholic and, um, you know, I thought that I could be too young or whatever. So when I was 17 initially, mm -hmm. and uh, but once I went out and drank when I was like, I guess I was 24 or something like that, 25, uh, you know, it was, it was very obvious that I was different, you know, and I, I could deny it for a little bit. Um, but, you know, when you're going around after the bar is closing and drinking everybody's like half empty <laughs> yeah. or whatever and you're like I don't know why I'm doing this but I have to do this um, you know it just gets to a point where you can't really avoid the truth and uh, I mean a huge difference was I have a child now and I had a child who was uh -huh. a year um, and that's absolutely a difference that, having the child change the way that you saw your drinking yeah, because, um, you know, you'll hear a million times at meetings like, uh, you know, you got to get sober for yourself. And I, I agree with that. And I understand the root in that. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't care about myself enough. And from what I understand, like talking to other people, that's not uncommon. You know, it's not uncommon to like get down to a, a place where you're so low where it's like, well, I don't care about myself enough to, you know, be sober. It was like when I, mm -hmm. when I drank, it was, um, you know, it would be better off if I died. You know what I mean? Like that mm -hmm. was my frame of mind. And, um, take any risk. Doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I thought it was a great night if I didn't die, you know, that was my goal was like, cause I had passed the point of no return and it was, I couldn't even lie to myself anymore. You know, when I picked up a drink, it was kind of a question mark on what would happen the rest of that night. Mm, yeah. You know? so. But but having a kid, then you've got this this um, responsibility, this this person that you want to be there for. Right. Well, I mean, I had a wake up call um, because basically the whole time uh, it was my secret, and my father had like picked me up from the cops a couple times, and um, so he knew. Uh, and it got to the point where uh, pretty much everyone around me was uh, pretty fearful that I would die or get hurt or whatever. And um, so they ended up telling the mother of my child. And that was like my uh, wake up point because I knew that if I didn't get sober, she was going to take away Drew. Um, and it was also a wake up point in the fact that like, uh, I don't know, I, I think I think clear perspective didn't come until... I started getting into the steps, you know, um, but it was enough of a wake up to like get me into treatment again and have a desire to do something different, you know, because when, when I'm drinking and I'm in that delusion or whatever, I can come up with any excuse to make it okay. Oh, can you know? we? And then it's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't really need much of an excuse whatsoever. Oh my God, the wind's blowing. I think I'm going to get drunk. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, crazy extreme things would happen. And, you know, I would just wake up and almost get to a point where I couldn't even lie to myself, you know, and just like it talks about in the big, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, we forget, what is it? We forget the pain and of a week, a month or even a week ago. And, um, you know, that's my experience. I, I would have something terrible happen where I either ended up having the cops called on me or in the hospital and I would wake up and be like, oh my God, I'm never drinking again. And, you know, really be solid by what I said. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, like a month would pass or something and I would be like, there's no way that's going to happen again. I mean, that's just crazy. But when I look at it now, it's like, really, I was just an alcoholic who was desperately craving alcohol and I was untreated, you know. Mm-hmm. So. so how many times did that happen where you said, I'm not going to drink again. And, you know, you realize, you know, seriously, this is, I've got a problem. And alcohol's the problem and I'm not going to drink again. And then change your mind and drink again. I mean, not a finite number, but how, how many times you... How many times did you quit? How many times you've been in and out? Quit start over chips, maybe, is what I'm asking. Well, I was always too scared to get start over chips. Um, I got one start over chip the first time, and it was this like dramatic event. You know, I had I had ended up in the hospital, and nobody knew uh, except for like my crazy girlfriend at the time and her father, and um, I ended up like alone. The next day, the next night, I knew that I was going to drink again. And it was almost like baffling to me, you know, because I felt, I felt uh, that loneliness that only we know, you know what I mean? And it was awful. And I was like, I'm either going to drink again or I have to go, like, let somebody know that I'm not okay. Um, so I went to my dad's house and because, and just to um, provide some perspective, uh, my mom and dad, are both alcoholics and recovering drug addicts. And my dad's got like 22 years in another fellowship. So I went to him and I was just like, dad, I've been trying to socially drink and it has not been working out. Uh, I was like, I ended up in the hospital last night and <laughs> socially drink. Yeah. Well, it was social. It's really, you know. Yeah, a real party yeah. in the uh, waiting room of the oh, yeah. emergency well, room. You know, I like, <laughs> when I was there, naturally... <laughs> I ripped the IV out of my arm and tried to run away from the hospital. Yeah. Um, and I made it. I, I got away from uh, nurses and doctors and a couple police officers that I guess were hospital, whatever. And um, they found me like half a mile away, passed out in a bush. I'm visualizing that one right now because you got to have the hospital oh, yeah. gown. I can show you exactly one. where it was too. You know. <laughs> so they brought me back in and one of my like you know, how like, I don't know, for me, like when I had blackouts order, I would have moments that I remembered. And the, like the first thing I remembered from that night later on was coming to handcuffed to the hospital bed. Oh, wow. Because they had handcuffed me to the hospital bed, so I couldn't run. And anyway, the point of saying that is like, when I had gone to my dad's the next day, I still had the friggin' sticky things on my chest. But, but did you say, so? did you call it, I'm having trouble social drinking? I think I'm, I'm, were you like trying to in your own mind you're still trying to make it social I'm just socially drinking it just yeah well I think I just mean, because I was in the hospital and ran out ripped the IV out of my arm and went running down the street in my hospital gown and fat passed out under a bush that was just a, an anomaly I don't I don't really feel like I was necessarily like delusional I think I was like truly felt like I wanted to surrender. And I wasn't foreign to what that meant uh, or whatever. Um, and, you know, I was in that day after I didn't have anybody. My girlfriend was like, I'm tired of you drinking. Like, we're done. And I lived in, like, this little room in somebody's house. You know, I think those were my exact words. It's like that I've been trying to, like, socially drink or whatever that means. That's and, inc- that's amazing. Yeah. Isn't and, it? Yeah. That you could hold on to that. Right. Because that doesn't sound... I mean, they're so far from social drinking. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. far. Well, I mean, there was... I can probably think of literally maybe one or two times where it could even fit in that category. But, <laughs> but the persistence of that is... In, I know that I thought that I was just like 
a normal drinker. And when I quit drinking, I was surprised to learn how many people all around me did not drink the way I did. And I thought everybody did. Or didn't yeah. necessarily drink at all. Not that. And that's one of those weird things when it does. Very weird. Too, right? is that there, there are people who are perfectly fine with not drinking at parties and such. Yeah. And they're not making a statement about it. Mm -hmm. They just prefer not to. I just never noticed them because those weren't my people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I stayed away from them. Yeah. <laughs> You're really going to be judging how I <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Totally. So well, before, we, uh, before we sat down and started, uh, we were chatting a little bit about a newcomer and... Uh, um, and that, you know, it seemed like, you know, when I met him last night that he wasn't full of shit and, and you made a statement, something along the lines that, uh, you know, you many times were absolutely, um, fully, I don't remember how you put it. Yeah. There were, there were many times where I wasn't full of shit for, you know, a day or two days. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm sure like. I definitely am not the only one on that, and it and it has to do with what we were talking about earlier. Like, you know, like when I went to my dad, like I was really, I was done. I, I am never. I'm gonna try to never drink again. You know, like my life is messed up. I went to a meeting and like picked up a chip in front of sponsees, and like, you know, it was this dramatic thing. And I was this was the last time or the first time. This was the first time trying to come back after being sober for seven years. Mm -hmm. Picked up a chip. And I mean, you know, I meant it. I, I meant it, and I was... You knew what to do if you'd been sober seven years. I mean... Right, right. And I started to immediately not do that stuff. Yeah, so yeah. so it, it didn't stick. The, no, it didn't the, stick. The, the sincerity, uh, the, the belief that I really do want to quit drinking, and, and, and it just... I remember this for me, that it... it yeah, I was there, too. It, it just, like, I'm done... This has got to stop. I'm going to get the help and all this kind of stuff. And then a day or two or whatever later, well, it's not so bad. Right. It's not so bad. It, it, it really wasn't that bad. Right. I'm well, not and like, I would, it was like this thing where like as long as my son's mother doesn't find out I'm drinking, I can keep trying to pull this off. But I kept like ruining myself, you know, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, Robert's going to drink tonight. And then. You know, the next day, I remember having to uh, walk into uh, the mother of my child's house, like, face absolutely, like, bruised and beaten um, from a fight, and tell her, you know, as a 25-year-old man, like, oh, I was skateboarding, and I fell and hit my face on a handrail, you know, and um, having to wear, like, sunglasses around, and I mean, it was just, you know, everything you always hear was happening, and all the stuff that I had been hearing forever, you know, because um, I've been going to meetings with my parents since I was six or seven, you know. So you knew all about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I went to treatment the first time when I was 17. Before then, I was like, I'm never going to be like, you know, my mom mm -hmm. or dad. And there's no way because I think that, I think until you really experience some of the wrath of this, it's, it, I understand why people can be like, it's not a disease. You know what I mean? Or because, doesn't look like that to other people. Right. Because it's just weak willed. Right. Because like in my mind, before I ever even touched alcohol or anything else, it was like obviously I can tell if I'm gonna go crazy like my mom or dad, you know, I'm not gonna do that. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, I'm doing that. <laughs> you know? uh, the bull is so intense that it allows it, it would allow me to completely ignore what had happened to me before. I would just like not even believe it. Yeah, well, if it, 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 as, you, as you mentioned about the, the text in the big book, I mean, it completely lost the impact right. that it mm -hmm. had upon me the day after when I was like, all right, I'm never going to do this again. I'm ready right. to quit. I'm not going to. Because I can't keep on living like this. Right. I can't keep on risking what I'm risking. I'm, I'm screwing up. I feel like crap. I'm not going to work. You know, all the different things that were going on. And then that doesn't really mean anything. You know, oh, yeah. it wasn't that bad. I mean, I was dealing with that myself just the next day. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I'm going to work late with a hangover. And I'm driving home at 4.30 in the afternoon. And it's like, eh, it wasn't that bad. 
right. and going on to the liquor store to do right. it again. Right. Well, I mean, you know, talks about the phenomenon of craving and it being um, only to alcoholics, and I really, I really can understand that, um, just because, uh, you know, I remember that when I think back, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about it, and like the deal was, is like I had this powerful craving where I wanted to drink again. So it was like my brain desperately searching for whatever it had to search for to allow me to drink again. To yes. make it okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but In the face of all your experience. So what, you you still did it again. So what, you knew what to do. What were the, th what was like, you said that you, know, you got, you picked up a start over chip and then you just immediately started doing the things that you knew you should be doing. You quit you weren't doing them and you ended up drinking again for someone who doesn't know anything about it. What are the things that you do to stay sober or what are the things that you didn't do and didn't work specifically? You know, I think, uh, I think a big part for me was I was unwilling to let go of the crazy girlfriend, you know, the crazy alcoholic girlfriend, you know, I don't know, man, I, I didn't want to, I wasn't willing to feel uncomfortable. I hadn't gotten into enough trouble. You know, I wasn't in like enough hot water. Um, and what I was doing that was not what I needed to do was is I would call my sponsor like, you know, once a week. I went to meetings and stuff, but I was still, there was like this feeling of separation. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think about it, it was like I was not in it. You know what I mean? It was like my life was still the girlfriend and all of that, just just not to drink and like go to meetings. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, not willing to change everything. Right. I mean, it's uh, one of my favorite lines is we let go. Absolutely. Or the results were nil. That is truly my experience. When I finally surrendered, like for real, for real, you know, I went to treatment. The mother of my child and my parents drove me to treatment. And I just remember being like, here I am again. And this time it wasn't like, oh, I was 17 and, you know, maybe it was just like a crazy whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like this time I'm, uh, I think I was 25 and I'm a father. And, um, you know, at the time I had a bruised face and a bloodshot eye and, you know, couldn't lie to anyone about how rough of shape I was in. You know, and it was, it was powerful. Um, it was powerful, and I remember um, thinking, "I'm just going to do what I need to do." You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm not willing to lose my child, and I. This is this is what I knew for a fact, right? Like I still was like in this, trying to rationalize why I could drink or whatever. But what I knew was is that I didn't want to lose my child, and I also knew that the way I drank was not normal. You know, there was no. I couldn't deny that. Yeah, <laughs> like there was no denying it. Just all the stuff that happened, and I don't know, man. Well, you had to learn that from experience. Yeah, you had to fail and fail and fail, right? And yeah. trying to treat normally, whatever that was. Well, but. we're beset with that notion that we can drink normal. That mm -hmm. that you know, well, I, I failed this time, but I know I can still do it. Yeah, I can mm -hmm. still drink like a normal person. Right. That was totally in my <clears throat> excuse me in my head. And, you know, there were times that I drank normally, as in had one or two drinks, but I was miserable because I really was, I was white knuckling that. Absolutely. Talk about white knuckling when we come in here and try to stop drinking. Those times when I did controlled drinking because I had to, right. like, I don't know, I'm driving my grandmother around or something. Uh, <laughs> You know, controlled drinking is a nightmare. Oh yeah, I did that for two years. Did you? The last two years of my drinking were controlled drinking. I was determined not to be an alcoholic. So for two years, I was on a two two beers, only drink on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, only two three beers, and it it was. No, none of that was true. None of that was happening. <laughs> of course it wasn't. You only was, drink on days that end in Y. I was sick on, <laughs> yeah. I was sick on Sunday, so I had to have hair of the dog on Sunday. That's right. And then Monday I wouldn't drink, but 
you know, something would come up on Tuesday and it would seem I'd have to break the rule and, you know, I'd be drinking. But it was a valid exception. Six days a week and still thinking in my head I'm only drinking on Friday and Saturday. You know, know, that sounds like me going to the gym now. (laughs) (laughs) There's justification going on. I go to the gym. I swear I go to the gym six times a week. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I think that it's a very powerful thing. You know, and yeah, the obsession is like it's like a um, it's a animal. I felt, I mean, I could anthropomorphize anthropomorphize it very well. It's like the beast inside of me. Like, and, and one time, uh, one time I had a sponsor say, Oh, that's just alcoholism rattling its cage. It's an animal, man. It's a it's a a monster inside. It's it's a lot more than it looks like to someone who's not an alcoholic who will say, well, I'm not going to drink except on Friday night. And then they don't drink until Friday night. Mm-hmm. And if you drink, then they look at it and go, well, he just, he just decided to drink. He just got a willpower problem. But it's not a willpower problem. It's a monster inside. Well, and it's a couple of you know, so Kevin, you were talking about the craving, and and absolutely, I am. Uh, I subscribe to that that allergy uh, um, concept within all this too. That you know, we've got this physical craving. I put alcohol in my body, and my body reacts in a way that says, "Put more alcohol on top mm-hmm. of this." Mm-hmm. Coupled with the obsession, which is, I don't have any alcohol in me, but I need some alcohol because alcohol is going to make me feel right. Alcohol is going to fix whatever's wrong or make whatever's right better, or it's going to make just breathing work better. I mean, it's just, I need alcohol. I remember when I got the, it's not a notion, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a wiring of my brain that said alcohol fixes things. Alcohol fixes you, Sam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that I don't know that that'll ever go away. Now, does that eat my lunch today? No, I don't have the obsession. But certainly, if I don't continue treating this, I have no doubt that that would return. And alcohol is going to seem like a solution to fix me. So throw that obsession into the mix and then have that craving, I'm screwed. Yeah. You know, there are people out there who can totally believe that they can only unwind at the end of the week with, with a big old drunk. And they're not alcoholics. Yeah, more power to them. That's great. I mean, if I could do that, I'd do it every day. Exactly. I do it every day. <laughs> but you know, there if I wasn't an alcoholic, I'd get drunk every day. Absolutely. Even if I could, especially if I could take a pill that would let me drink like normal people, I would be drinking all the time. Right. I love that. Another like eye opener when I was drinking was that that crazy girlfriend's father. Um, I remember one time him looking at me, and he's he's never seen any sort of recovery literature, or well, he probably has. He was a doctor, but you know, from what I knew, he had never like read the big book or anything. And he looked at me, and he he was like, "Kevin, when you drink, it's like Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde." Yeah. And I remember being like, like my stomach dropping, because it was like, you know, it wasn't my dad saying it who was in recovery. It wasn't my mom saying it who was in recovery. It was this person that has no idea, you know, and I was like, oh, shit. And, you know, multiple people would be like, you're a different person when you drink. You know, you just turn into this different person. They're like, you're such a great person when you're not drinking. And then, um... So you had a personality change when you drank. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about... That didn't happen to me. People have different reactions to alcohol. Yeah. I I mean, I... (laughs) I don't know. When I drank, you know, I was like a crackhead when I drank, man. You know, like when I, when, especially when I started to feel drunk, um, you know, the only stories I would ever hear is even in blackouts, people like, they would say, Kevin, like last night you're obviously gone and all you could do was try to get more alcohol, you know, which to me, like that to me is a very good um, example of why this is not a will thing. Because even in my subconscious, like I'm desperately seeking more alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's pretty big. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the, the alcoholism rate is different for different people. Right. And I know uh, 
my friend Doug talks about his, uh, he names it Jack Comes Out. Yep, Jack. <laughs> A different, pers Jack. different personality right. comes out. Because so I've had the reaction a number of times to the point I meet someone, I say, well, man, I really like this guy. I bet I would have really liked drinking with him. Yeah. <laughs> it would yeah. fun to drink with. And I told him that, and he was going, no. No, it's not not true. Cause some, some of us get mean. Yeah. I was just a question mark. You know, I think that, like, being honest, uh, there was a certain point where I was probably hilarious. Sure. Because I remember those moments. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was... And glorified would, those moments. <laughs> well, no, I would... That was a good night. I would go to the bar by myself, and I would end up with, like, ten random people hanging out with, like, ten random people. Um, I mean, that happened multiple times. And I would cross that line... And then they were like, all right, well, we're going to bed and it's one o'clock. And I'm thinking, uh, no. Um, and I get in my car naturally of course, and drive to wherever there's more alcohol, you know, because that's what it was about, man. That's it. And my, I was a nice guy. You know, I was this, this, you know, scared, polite person anyway. And then finally the, the inhibitions are removed by drinking and it's like, oh my God, I can talk to people now. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I, I was... You know, gr gratitude's a great big part of recovery. Mm -hmm. It's like gratitude was part of my drinking, too, because I was grateful for the alcohol to finally let me be around people. Right. And so now if I got, like, way overboard, that was when I was a total jerk and, um, you know, got in a couple fights with my partner. But that was at home after we had, like, finished off I don't know how many bottles. But, you know, out and about... Even, you know, at the parties and getting trashed, um, staying until two in the afternoon at the nightclub, things like that. <laughs> well, isn't that what you do? <laughs> That's why they don't have windows. <laughs> right. The sun rising is such a depressing thing. It's I know. know. Um, but yeah, Shoot I was the nice birds. guy. <laughs> yeah. I think there are many different different forms and... Uh, ways to be alcoholic and that's what I always like when I share my story I try to say like look I don't know why but I am an extreme example you know of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, Which would make it seem like it would be easier you know from someone who that doesn't happen to I don't have a personality change it seems like it would be easier to admit uh, defeat considering it's so drastic well, the difference in your personality. The problem with admitting defeat when I'm drinking means that I have to stop drinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that's the whole thing. It wasn't, I'd already done enough things to prove to myself, like, you know, Kev, I don't care who you are. Like, <laughs> you were insane last night, you know, or like whatever. But as soon as I, you know, as soon as I throw those cards down, then that means I have to quit drinking. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's, it's. Alcoholics, we are incredibly tolerant of pain and consequences. Yeah. And, you know, surrender is surrender is surrender. And at and whatever point it takes for you to hit it, you to hit it, Don, for me to hit it, it doesn't matter because at that point, it's the same thing. It's the surrender. And the surrender of alcohol, the, the quitting, the, the, the realizing, I can't drink. And really owning that in such a way that you actually take action, it's it, whatever drives us to that point, when we get to that point, it's the same momentous decision. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter. it's huge. Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And um, I would, one of the problems that I've seen over the years is that, I mean, people doing what we do and comparing uh, and looking for the differences and, uh, you know, I've heard a million times in people's stories be like, oh, well, I thought I wasn't an alcoholic because I wasn't under a bridge or like whatever, you know. And um, I mean, alcoholism runs deep in my family and it goes from people like me who are insane to like my mom. Uh, she was a very functioning alcoholic. But for her, her bottom was like after she had like six years, she relapsed and got sober again. And her bottom, she said, is... Uh, like just looking in the mirror and being like, this is not who I am. Well, um, share something that that describes something in recovery that really works that you turn to 
Uh, I mean, that's easy. The first thing I think of is talking to another alcoholic. Um, you know, I think that that's like, uh, it's even if you're not an alcoholic, like being able to be open with somebody is really cool. Um, and, you know, sponsorship, like I like, before I even am talking to my sponsor, I get relief from whatever problem it is, knowing that I'm about to call him. Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? that, that's yeah. funny how that works. <laughs> so, and that's, I mean, that's like, I didn't have that when I was drinking, you know. Um, I burned bridges and pushed the people that I was willing to be vulnerable enough with away. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's huge, man. Uh, I, you know, I had some recent stuff happen where I was not in good shape emotionally. And, I mean, the biggest thing that helped me was just, the people around me rallying around me and, you know, not like dragging me around, but, uh, just being like, we're here. That's a big deal. It is. There's some kind of relief that comes with connection with other people. And I get it. Even, uh, I've tried, I travel a whole lot and being out of town, go to a meeting out of town. And it's amazing how just walking into a room full of alcoholics, I, very quickly just relax and no you know really that's kind of odd because when i go into a crowd of people i actually tense up normally yeah but alcoholics aren't people that's the difference they're not there's something (laughs) different about them um i relax around around them and it's like uh being in a meeting a meeting could start about 15 minutes into it it's like it's what it's doing is helping me some kind of external way helping me inside internally let go mm-hmm. yeah. exactly. of all the stuff that's going on in the day that I'm trying to fight against. I'm trying to make things happen, mm-hmm. things that I can't make happen. Well, you know, one of those tacky little cliches that we've got is that uh, you, you never have to be alone again. Right. And, and a, uh, another line that can follow that is unless you choose to. Right. And that's just it. You know, I can totally isolate. Oh, Absolutely. But I don't have to be alone. All I have to do is reach out. Go to a coffee shop an hour before a meeting. You'll find alcoholics. Right. Um, go to a meeting. You'll find alcoholics. Um, go to a coffee out. shop after a meeting. You'll find <laughs> yeah. alcoholics. Right. Um, Usually the same ones. And these are the ones that aren't drinking. I mean, I can go to a bar and find alcoholics, <laughs> yeah. but I really probably shouldn't do that. Right. Um, but what's the difference between, uh, like uh, Kevin said, that you went to meetings and felt you were just like going to the meetings like there were classes or something and weren't really a part of it. What's the difference between being a part of the meeting, going to a meeting and being a part of it, and going to a meeting and still being isolated? I think it really is the surrender. I think that's the thing that kicks in. Because for me, you know, when I first came around uh, and then went back out for about five months, I, in that first go-round, I was... I loved that you calling that a class. I was going to it like classes. Mm-hmm. I don't care about these people. I don't want to be connected to these people. I'm afraid of these people was a big part of it for me too. Yeah. Um, I don't want to let anybody in. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say the, there's a huge chunk of vulnerability missing. You know, I mean, it's, it's epic how different it is when you're like truly surrendered and vulnerable. And I also think uh, the connections with the people in the room uh, which takes some time to build. I mean, I think that yeah, uh, I get being uncomfortable no matter who you are, like mm-hmm. for the first little bit. But uh, you know, if I walk into a room and uh, my best friends are sitting there because I've made that connection, mm-hmm. then I mean, it's automatically like a relief, and then I'm like in a safe place where I can just be like, I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> 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 um, and you can say that, and people go, I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, it's... I remember talking to my sponsor about God, and I was like going, you know what the problem with God is? Is that it's just not cool. The whole concept, it's just not cool. And it's I, that's why I'm uncomfortable and don't want to participate with it. And he said, I know what you mean. And that was the start of the conversation that enabled me to get to a place where I could let go of some of that. Right. Well, but it was like, I know what you mean. Yeah. I think like something that I hear quite often and have experience with is, you know, you were talking about like 
we've spent all day trying to fight whatever it is, you know, thoughts or uh, situations. And for me, it's usually thoughts. Uh, and, you know, how many times have you heard uh, somebody be like, I want to drink. And they're terrified to tell you that they wanted to drink, you mm-hmm. know. And it's, I've been in that situation where I'm fighting that thought of like, oh, well, I have this much time of sobriety. So, um, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be thinking about drinking. And because like, I'm trying to fight all those thoughts, uh, you know, I end up miserable until I get to the point where I'm like, look, you know, I know that I sponsored blah, 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 this many people, but like, I've wanted to drink all day. And then all of a sudden it's like, and that urge goes away. And you know what's on top of that? And I think, I love that you brought that up. There are people who, and I think that, I don't know if all, I went through it too. I'm just I'm just going to say that. When I had uh, had gotten up to a good number of, of years before I started over, I was in that place where I can't share that I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. I can't share that I want to drink. Right. I can't share that I'm miserable because I've got X number of years of sobriety and I've got to make sure this looks good to the newcomer. I can't look bad because that'll look bad for them. Yeah. And that's bullshit. It is. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it is. It was a killer for me, um, you know, and I think it has to do with uh, ego and all of that. But, um, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, I don't know, that's something that has been huge for me um, in sobriety this time around. Is like uh, not letting my time sober or how many times I've done the steps be this excuse or reason um, to like not have a shitty day or... Oh, but I've already like prayed to remove this defect, so it shouldn't happen. So instead of accepting that it is happening again, I'm sitting there trying to fight it. Um, but it's still there, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't really like get mad at people. I can't because like that's how I was, you know. Just like you said, it's like, you know, I I had seven years and was speaking at treatment centers and I'd gone to school to be a counselor and you know to the young people group, it was like. Oh, it's Kevin. You know, I was one of those people that people would be like, he's never going to relapse, you know, that guy. Um, And so when I started having feelings of just terrible depression and wanting to drink, and I would keep those in, you know. Um, And today it's not like that. And I'm so grateful for that. You know, like I'm so, so grateful. And um, what I can tell you for me is like when I go into a meeting, it is much more impactful for me to hear an old timer get vulnerable about where they're at right now than the fact that they've been around for 22 years and, you know, they're telling people what to do or whatever. Like, I don't, uh, I'll shut up after this, but the most (laughs) the most recent, um, not most recent, but I heard a speaker, you know, it was this woman and, uh, she had, she had like 21 years or something like that. And, um, she just went up there and her whole time, uh, she was just talking about how shitty of a spot she was in, you know, and how like she really needed our help. And it was, I got cold chills like saying it, yeah. you know? um, cause I think that's what it's about. Um, you know, and I, I let like ego and the, uh, the, the illusion of time and whatever be this thing that, you know, took me back out. Um, and you know, I, I think that, I think that I do grow in recovery and sobriety, like obviously, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I have learned a lot of stuff, but at the same time, like, um, I don't know, man, I just don't like, even if I have written an inventory and, you know, figured out all this stuff with myself that is bad or not bad, but you know, defects or whatever, and I pray to remove them. And then like two years later, something happens that triggers me to like act super into that same defect. Whereas before I would be like, oh, no, no, no. You know, this time it's like, I'm not worried about the fact that I, you know, worked a seven step. I'm more worried about the fact that like, I feel crazy and I, I've got to feel better. That That's a huge thing. I, yeah. I think one of the things that has happened for me in, in recovery is um, I don't always put it quite this politely, but AA has made me a bit of a wuss. 
And I, I say that jokingly in some ways, but it's the truth. I, as an alcoholic, I could, as I said earlier, I could handle all kinds of pain. Mm -hmm. But today, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I don't want that discomfort. I don't want to feel bad. I want to do, and I'm totally willing to do, sometimes sooner than others, but I'm totally willing to do those things that I've learned in these rooms so that I don't feel bad. You're just not putting up a front, is what you're saying. When you're saying you're be a wuss, you're just not putting a front. You're being genuinely well, no. who you are. Well, I'm being genuine, genuine but, but I'm saying it has, it has killed my, it has greatly diminished my ability to sit in pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Before recovery, I could totally sit in pain. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll wallow in it. Mm -hmm. Right. But that, Today, it, I don't want that. But right. that's what we drink at. Yeah. Exactly. Well, when you get sober, you start to experience, like, what you can actually experience when, when it comes to, like, happiness and joy. Yeah. And, like, that's something that, one, when I've experienced it, I don't want to miss out on it. Like, you know, so now granted, I still will self-loathe and isolate, yeah. and, um, you know, but there's a certain point that I get to where I'm like, I'm just not willing to do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. I need my angst for my art. <laughs> yeah. I want my pain. I need it. It makes me who I am. If I exercise my demons, all my angels will leave too. Tom Waits sang a song about that time. I was referencing Captain Kirk. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, thanks for uh, joining us here at the Boil Now and hang around. But thanks, Kevin. Look. Thanks for that. What is that thing? That, what? It's a scalded. It looks like some kind of a, a flying squirrel is that, or is that a poached fowl? <laughs> no, it's a boiled owl. <laughs> it's time for our old timers' question from a listener. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh... It's on your head! <laughs> Stop it, you old-timer. <laughs> no matter how long you've been sober, it's still a day at a time, but that's what happens if you stay sober long enough. You can post a question to us on our website or uh, email us at giveahoot at boiledaa.org. Uh, we don't have any questions yet, so we're making them up. So, uh... Here's Tiffany from Paperville. Uh, Paperville? Paperville. I've always wanted to go to Paperville. <laughs> Sounds real wild. <laughs> so my one-year anniversary is coming up soon, and I'm thinking about alcohol more than I was. What's up with that? Wow. I can understand that. Anniversary. Uh, I remember having a, a feeling, well, many times... Uh, that, when the anniversary comes up, it's like, ta-da, ring the bell, I've done it, one year, okay, I'm recovered, and, uh, you know, it doesn't work that way. It, we have to, we're sober for as long as we've been awake that day. Uh, whenever I woke up this morning is when I got sober. That's about 2.30 for me. <laughs> I don't know, if, I don't know if this applies, but it made me think of the, of the, how I like to think about certain things, like a, having an anniversary. Okay, that's the first anniversary, one-year anniversary. Well, that's the first time I've gone through a one-year anniversary mm -hmm. um, sober. And um, like going to a wedding. I went to a wedding. I had been sober for nine months, ten months, and went to a wedding. And I was going, okay, I went to the wedding. I wanted to drink. At the wedding, I had um, gotten lots of help before going. I had bookended it and that I had called my sponsor before and made a, a, a plan that I was going to call my sponsor after the wedding. And I had a way to leave if I needed to leave. If it got too bad. I didn't get myself like stuck in the situation. So I was prepared to do it, but still I wanted to drink. And uh, somebody told me, well, that was the first time that you did that. The fifth wedding that I went to, that was the fifth time I had gone to a wedding and not drank, even though that was many years of sobriety later. Still, that was only the fifth time I'd run the script of I'm at this situation and I'm doing it sober. Mm -hmm. And all the anniversaries have been like that for me. Uh, Christmas was that way. Holidays is like mm -hmm. that. Uh, about the 10th 
time, you know, 10 years sober, I've been through Christmas 10 times uh, sober. And it was easier the 10th time, but that's the 10th time I've run that, run that script, you know? Yeah. So an anniversary, I can see how you could get a feeling of uh, achievement, and I've done it, and, uh, and also it's a new experience. I'm going to have an anniversary, I'm going to have it sober. There's nothing at all unusual about an alcoholic wanting to drink. So if you want to drink, that's pretty natural. It sounds like you're an alcoholic. <laughs> I would say, I'd say Tiffany's probably an alcoholic. The miracle is every day that I choose not to drink. Yeah. You know, for me, that uh, when that one year hit, um, I think a lot of it is that um, I'm thinking more about what I was going through. You know, mm-hmm. I think alcohol is more on my mind yeah. just because... There's this this you know imaginary importance to this one this period of year of the year, um, and so um, you're really reliving your last yeah year. yeah Time you got drunk too exactly well, that's, I think that's a big part of it yeah. uh, insofar as and and I, you know I agree with you that the the time um, you know um, having restarted my clock as well uh, I'm so glad I heard someone along a while ago say you know time is not a tool. Um, and that is absolutely that true. I can't pick it up and use it. Mm-hmm. I can pick up the phone and call an alcoholic. Oh, I can see. pray. I can meditate. But my time is not going to save my ass. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, but it does but it have a positive does, effect. It does sure. have a compounding effect. And one of the things that um, so it, it's June 22, 2003 is is was my sobriety date, um, and it's now uh, March 17, 2012. Um, however, I haven't had alcohol in my system since 2003. I haven't had to deal with alcohol. Mm-hmm. And when that date comes around, it's still an important date for me. That June date is still important to me. But I don't have these desires to drink I, or, or, or thoughts or anything about that. As a matter of fact, I can't recall the last time the desire to drink was in my head. Um, but when that anniversary comes around, it's special because now I, I, I can look back and recall, you know, this, this is where I was, but I don't find that happening. But it did in those early years. In those early years, it was, I heard people calling it getting squirrely, getting squirrely mm-hmm. around right. your anniversary. Um, and then the March 17 one, you know, that was me getting honest. It wasn't me getting rid of anything. I mean, poppers and diet pills, but that, that was just a... That wasn't alcohol for me. That didn't kick my ass like alcohol. It didn't have that goal. And so my sobriety dates now don't have these, um, I don't want to call them triggers, but this, well, these trigger. characteristics of them that make me think about the stuff in a way that seems dangerous. Sure. Uh, I mean, the first thing I thought of is... Um, I just am really bad at handling success or, you know, anything that is a positive. I'm just not good at it. You know, I'm, I would much rather have somebody stand and cuss me out than stand there and tell me all the good qualities about myself. You're so Southern. Uh, <laughs> um, but it's true, you know. It and, is true. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I, I have that's the same thing and I'll take, and I'll, if somebody will tell me something positive, I'll just go, oh. There. Oh yeah, you oh, know, this complete whatever. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sure. All right. I don't buddy. buy it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what do you want? <laughs> yeah. And I've always heard that that like uh, you know around celebrations and stuff like that. Both both of what y'all said is uh, I think pretty spot on. Um, and I think for me it's just that whole sabotage of like something that is a cool thing is about to happen in my life. Um, what can I do to screw it up (laughs) you know i mean i think that's just like for me has been practice over time you know i'm still not that great at having like really awesome stuff in my life you know i think that that's uh i don't know if that's a default of an alcoholic or what but you know it takes me like making effort to be to see something that's awesome and be grateful for it you know what i mean it's not just you know, like naturally I can get mad or sad and isolate, like that can be my automatic, but it's not my automatic to be 
like grateful and happy oh, yes. and accepting of cool things and you know clear like I have to work for that I get that I totally get yeah. that I'm a little distrustful of the good stuff mm-hmm. uh, more and more I've, I've found that I can can trust I found that that the the good stuff is like worthy of being sought but yeah there was totally a point where if things were going good I get that sabotage thing where I'm going to screw it up because I want to be the one that screws it up. I kind of know what's right, coming there. Exactly. And then also I'm used to struggling. And this 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 life going easy, quote unquote, that's weird. I don't know how to handle that. When's the foot going to drop? Yeah. Right. That's great. This has been a good time here at the Boiled Down Coffee Club. Let's come back next week. I think we should. You know, I, I'll be here. I'll see you here. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Can I put on my clothes now? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> thanks you, for having me. We don't have, usually people, I don't know why he would sit around here without any clothes on. I, I told him it. to, Don. He takes direction well. I guess if they say if you want me to stand in the corner on my head and gargle peanut butter. I'm not any length. Willingness. Willing to go to any length. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl Podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. Leave feedback or ask a question or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and Your City or visit AA.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.